Hey guys, it's Desi. Welcome back to my podcast, Candle in a Dark Room. So today I am super excited because we have a guest. Most of you know her from the reality TV show called Pretty Wild. It was with her, her sisters, and her mom. Alexis Nyers was her original name. Now she is married and it is Alexis Haynes. She was also a part of the California Bling Ring and she's known for her conviction and everything that happened with that. She's a recovering addict and she also um, has a history of being sexually abused and that's why I thought it would be great to have her as a guest today. So I'm ready to welcome her. Hello, Alexis. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on my podcast. I can't tell you how excited I am. I seriously watched Pretty Wild back in the day and I came across your Instagram a couple years ago. I always watch your live feeds and your makeup tutorials and all the stuff that you do. So I just think you have a really incredible story. I don't know if you know much about my podcast and we talk about trauma and things that people go through growing up and kind of how they recover from it today and how they deal with things today. Do you think you can give us kind of a short version of your story and kind of fill people in who don't know your story? Sure. Thanks for having me on. I I grew up in a really chaotic household. My father was an alcoholic. My mom was kind of this pot-smoking, free-loving, hippie, wild child who had very little boundaries. And my parents ended up divorcing when I was three. I had a lot of early childhood sexual trauma. I eventually turned to drugs in my early preteen years. And then by the time that I was 16, I was a heroin addict. And I ended up being sexually assaulted and raped again at 16. And then my addiction just kind of spiraled out of control. And at that time in my life, I began working out in Hollywood as a music video girl, doing different extra work and modeling gigs. And then eventually, I uh, getting a reality TV show is kind of like a one in a million shot and just the stars aligned for us. I think that we we just had the perfect kind of mix of crazy and wild and fun and all of that and you know so we just kind of ran with that and then by the time I was 19 my addiction had brought me to my knees and I was a twice convicted felon and um, thankfully I ended up going into treatment and getting the help that I really desperately needed and I've been sober ever since so it's been about uh almost eight years now or let's see wow. yeah a little over eight years since the last time wow. I used any opiates and since I got sober that's awesome that's great well yeah I mean I can relate on the sexual trauma I was sexually abused from age eight to 15 by my stepfather so that's why you know reaching out to you was so important to me because I think that you know what happened to you is so common for people to use drugs to kind of cope with what happened to them and their abuse What kind of brought you to your knees to decide that you wanted to get help? I think it was like a number of events that happened. I didn't have a lot of people talk about hitting rock bottom. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. necessarily that I hit rock bottom. It was a number of kind of, I would call them spiritual awakenings or moments that kind of just brought me to my knees. And 
I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. I was mm-hmm. still, even after going to jail that last time, detoxing in jail from heroin and, and every other drug that I had been using for the last several years and getting into treatment, I was still kind of fighting tooth and nail because I didn't want to identify as an alcoholic or an addict. I didn't want to be anything like my father. I didn't really, it's not that I didn't want to be sober. It's just, I I really wasn't ready to stop numbing my pain, but I had no other option. It was six years in prison or staying in rehab. Mm -hmm. And I know that for a lot of people that hear that they are going to say, oh, that's kind of crazy. Like you wanted to keep being a drug addict and the mm-hmm. honest answer was, yeah, that the pain was so great that the rapes and the trauma and the abuse and the physical violence and all the things that I had seen and experienced growing up was so intense that I wanted to continue to numb out for as long as possible. And honestly, I was okay with like dying at that point in my life, which mm-hmm. now as a mother with two kids who, you know, is happily married, my husband owns a treatment center. I work with women every week doing groups. I have my own podcast, Recovering from Reality. I have all of these things to look back on that. It's crazy to say that I really thought that, but like I was okay with just like dying. And and right. that was it, so it was more of like an emotional thing for me. And what happened was when I was in treatment at three months in, I relapsed on whippets. I was doing whippets in Venice Beach and I basically, you know, I knew that like, if they drug tested me, like I considered a relapse, people were like, Oh my God, it's a whippet. But my intention behind it was to continue to numb my pain. Right. Right. And mm-hmm. what I realized was I kind of had this earth shattering, like feeling like I was in treatment still. And here I am doing these whippets and, and I ended up just realizing like, wow, I'm really a drug addict. Like I can't stop doing drugs for a year, even though like my entire livelihood like depends on this. So it was like a number of things that kind of led up to led up to, I wouldn't call it my demise, I would call it my awakening, like that moment Mm -hmm. where it was just kind of like, wow, and thank God that that happened, because it, it catapulted me into movement and into action. Where before I was just kind of like lazy and didn't really care to like participate in the groups, didn't care to do the therapy. I was just in so much pain. I didn't really want to acknowledge and deal with my trauma, Mm -hmm. basically what it was. I mean, like that's a lot of trauma to deal with. And so, yeah, it makes sense why you wanted to completely numb yourself. Did all of your sexual abuse and trauma come back because you weren't numbing it with drugs anymore? When I got sober, yeah. So... I had got, I tried sober before, um, using Suboxone and when I was 18 and I had always known that the trauma was there. It's just that the details were really fuzzy. Like my abuse started when I was really young. I was maybe five, four or five and it lasted until I was probably like seven. And there was like, I knew that he forced me to perform oral sex. I knew the things Mm -hmm. that he was doing to me. I could feel it in my body, right? When I thought about Mm -hmm. it, like, it's just that the details of where and when were really fuzzy. And so I started that first time that I tried to get sober, the flashback began. And then what happened was I, I ended up, I ended up going back to getting loaded because yeah, it was too much. And then right. I, and I told my mom and I told my sisters what had happened. I'd kept that secret until 
I was 18. Oh, so nobody had known until then. Nobody knew. Yeah, I didn't tell anybody. And then, because it was with a family member, and I just, he groomed me too. It it was just Mm. a very, yeah, just, it was something that I just had suppressed for so many years. And then when I got sober, right around that time that I really decided to start healing and to start doing the work, I, I basically was like, you know what, I've just, I've got to deal with this now. And so I, I began doing the work and, and I'm really grateful for all of the work that I've done on it. And, you know, it, it, there's definitely stages. Mm-hmm. I rarely, when I talk about it now, feel like an intense emotional reaction to okay. the events that took place. Like it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel, it feel like chaotic. it was your story. Yeah, it just, it just feels like a little less intense. And a little less mm-hmm. painful and like it doesn't trigger me anymore when I'm intimate with somebody. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't affect it. Mm-hmm. It, it used to affect like every aspect of my life. Like I was so paranoid, right. constantly afraid of men, like it, unable to be emotionally available and intimate with somebody you know, on an emotional level because mm-hmm. of the trauma. So it's definitely, you know, I don't see myself as a victim anymore. I see myself as a survivor. There's definitely like a huge shift. Right. It's, it's still there and it will always be there. I don't think that you can go through such horrendous things and it'll ever go away. It's just that the energy behind it and the traumatic feelings have, have faded. Right. Yeah, exactly. I think I mean, that just shows how, how much of a survivor you are. I mean, I explain it to people all the time. They wonder how I can talk about it. You know, I'm a crisis specialist and I now work with women who have been sexually abused or raped and things like that. And I'm always asked how I'm not triggered. And I think that just shows how much my healing process has grown. Mm -hmm. And because now when I look back, I almost feel like I'm telling a story of somebody else. Like, I know it was me, but it's like, okay, I'm telling you yeah. this traumatic story of someone I know. Yeah, no, I definitely relate to that feeling, sure. So, like, today, how do you deal with it when something does come up? And I know it's not, it doesn't happen often. Like you said, you're not triggered often. But if something does come up, what do you do to kind of get yourself out of that mindset? I mean, I, I still go through bouts of depression. I have drug-resistant depression. I don't, I can't take antidepressants. Um, we know that mm. the brains of people who were severely traumatized as children develop differently than people who don't go through severe trauma. For instance, like our prefrontal cortex and our amygdala and all of the kind of firing centers that deal with, you know, making serotonin and making sure that the, the mind feels elevated at times and, and that our stress response is in control. Like those parts of me aren't functioning the same as like an average person. And so that is challenging. So I definitely like Mm -hmm. I go through periods of depression or anxiety and things like that. So it manifests in that way, even though I don't feel like emotionally triggered or traumatized by it anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, In those moments, I just do my best or in those periods of time. I'm in one right now. Right. I just do my best to take care of myself. And, you know, for me, that looks like extra meditation and getting better sleep and eating really a healthy diet. And I use essential oils. I do lots of yoga. I see a Reiki practitioner. You know, I just, I do things that like when I walk away, I'm like, okay, I feel better after that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, and I just recognize that, like, this is just a period of time. This is not forever. And even in really dark moments where I feel like I'm having, like, a lot of intrusive thought about, you know, harming myself or whatever it is. I'm just like, you know what? This is just a time period. It's not forever. It's a season. And usually in these seasons of depression or pain or whatever you want to refer to it as, I recognize that this is the time for growth. It's a time for self-care. I've gotten a lot better with like self-care. Like I used to just go, 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 go. And then after my having my kids, I had a number of things happen to my body that just basically my body was saying no, like it was forcing me to slow down. And mm-hmm. so I realized that self-care is just essential. It's something that I have to do for myself. And it really makes a huge difference in my overall like health and well-being and mental state. Yeah, I think that's super important to put yourself first sometimes, especially when it comes to things like that. Because if not, I feel like it, it does affect your family. It affects your husband, your kids. Yeah. And it's kind of a downward I mean, you spiral. always have to put yourself there first. Like I, right. I look at when I look at like the triangle of my life, like I think of like a food pyramid. Think about the pyramid. It's like I put mm-hmm. my spiritual practice first. Myself needs second, my relationship with my husband third, my relationship as a family with our kids fourth, and then next my work life. And then the next thing would be like, you know, play and enjoying life. Like those are kind of like the fundamentals of my life in that order. And when I put my husband needs above my own, I burn out. When I put my kids needs above my own, I burn out. And obviously becoming a mother Mm -hmm. is a lot of sacrifice. And I sacrifice in a lot of ways, like nursing for me and what I didn't have a hard time producing milk. I didn't have a hard time nursing. I had a hard time because of my sexual abuse with nursing. So like, I had a really, it was really triggering for me, but I did it for my kids because I knew that like breastfeeding was the best thing for them. And I wanted to give them Mm -hmm. the best shot at having, you know, health gut and whatever else the benefits are you know what I mean like right of course we sacrifice for our kids but if it means that like mommy is deteriorating that means that everything else is going to fall apart right so it's you know? okay to so step I back. have to learn of course like and you have to learn like when to ask for help and how to get help and the things that you know when we first had Harper I had no help I had an emergency c-section I had a really traumatic birth I had a really hard time recovering We had no money at the time because my husband was just starting his business and I stopped working. I was the sole provider for our family in the beginning of our um, marriage and relationship. And it was really hard, but I learned things that helped me. Like, so I would find a girlfriend and we would swap childcare. I would take care of her baby. Sometimes she would take care of mine. So that way I could get in that extra support and that extra care and get into a therapist and do all the things that I needed to do to take care of myself for my kids and for my family. Right. It's definitely like essential to put your needs, you know, to make first. that to make put your needs first and to make that a top priority in your life. Right. Well, um, you know, we both have kids very similar in the same, in the age. Um, I have a four year old daughter and a six year old son. My question to you is how do you parent differently compared to other people who have not had sexual trauma? That's something I'm kind of trying to figure out and balance right now. So, you know, I loved your kind of your input on it because I also know you're a doula too. So, yeah, there's a number of things that I do different. Well, just in comparison to my upbringing, right, that that I mm-hmm. do, do differently. For instance, I follow the Rye philosophy, R-I-E. I 
study a lot of Janet Lansbury, which is basically not attachment parenting. It's just like, it's, I don't even know how I would explain it. You'll have to check her out. She's amazing. Okay. Um, she's actually going to yeah, come I've heard on you my talk podcast about her before. Totally so excited. I love her. I'm a sex positive parent, meaning like I'm very open with my children. We don't use code words. They've actually done studies that say that kids are in greater danger of sexual abuse if they're not taught like the actual words for their right. I've heard that. So my daughter knows the word vagina. She knows vulva. Mm -hmm. She knows that the vagina is on the inside, vulva is on the outside. She knows, you know, all of the proper terms for her body parts. She knows boy body parts. She knows why we're different. She, so like, I'm very, it's just like matter of fact, you know, she doesn't need to know about sex right now at age five, Mm -hmm. but yeah, babies aren't brought here by stork. Um, right. you know, she knows that they're grown in the mom's belly. She knows that she was, she came out of my belly, that her sister came out of my vagina. She knows okay. those, you know, she knows. And then there's a, a number of amazing books that I found on Amazon that I think are really helpful. One of which I believe is set is called I said no. And it talks about okay. red flags and green flags and red fa- flag feeling that icky feeling you get when you're around somebody, you know, that when someone asks you to keep a secret that you don't want to keep, you know what I mean? That you shouldn't mm-hmm. keep blah, 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 all of that stuff. It goes over all of that. So we've talked about that, like red flag feelings and, and stuff like that. And then I've had to do a lot of work when my daughter turned four, which was around the age that my sexual abuse started. I started yeah. to get like really triggered and super paranoid and so like I dove back into therapy and really just committed to getting myself better because the other thing is like okay so I'm a parent of two daughters right we know Mm -hmm. that obviously girls are far more likely to be sexually abused than boys and things are gonna happen so for instance my daughter last night I was bathing her actually and she stood up from the bath and I noticed she had two bruises on her butt and I freaked out internally Mm -hmm. first right and Mm -hmm. normally that would have caused me like to spiral like I would not have been able to keep my composure I would have been super paranoid I would have started like interrogating her. I wouldn't have been able to like remain calm, cool and collected at all. And so what I did, you know, was I went and I took a moment and I stepped outside and I had a breath and then I came back and I asked her what happened and she explained you know, and this is totally normal behavior for kindergarten is that the kids are into like make believe fighting and they're starting to have crushes on each other and all of that, all of that right. is normal behavior for kindergarten. But she did tell me that a boy in our class that they're playing this game of punching each other in the butt. Right. And oh. so obviously, you know, and she's partaken and other girls have partaken and other boys have partaken. And so It just became a conversation like, hey, what are our private parts for boys? And she goes, anything under their underpants. And I said, what are private parts for girls? She said, anything under my shirt or my underpants. And I said, so is your butt a private Mm -hmm. part? 
she said, yes. And I said, so do we let other people touch our private parts? And she said, no. I said, especially not when it comes to hitting. We, You know right. what I mean? So I just had like a very matter-of-fact conversation, sent an email to the teacher, let her know what was going on. I'd actually witnessed this little game before between her and her another friend on the playground at school. And I told them then, you know, we don't hit each other mm-hmm. the private parts or at all, especially not with closed fists. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's like, so you're able to handle these things rationally where before I remember exactly what happened I was giving my daughter a bath and she had just turned four so this was like two years ago and obviously the parent like you clean their private parts and I was using a washcloth on her butt and she said ow mom she got soap in her private part my fault mm. Total. like it was an accident and you know how <laughs> right. that can hurt as a girl it freaking yeah it burns <laughs> and I, she was like you hurt my vagina you hurt my and I those words I just spiraled make you and cringe that's when I right knew, like I need I was like oh my god I hurt her oh like just freaking out and that's mm-hmm. when I was like okay I need to go back to therapy and thank god that I have the tools to know that like that triggered me so bad where now I would have gone like, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. And I would have grabbed a cup and just like started rinsing her and I would have explained what happened. And said, you know, mommy's so sorry that 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 happened. Yeah. And I maybe at that age, she had just turned four. So she was just out of three. So she can't clean her privates like perfectly, but I would have started Mm -hmm. teaching her earlier or whatever, you know, like, hey, you can do it or whatever. I, I don't know. But I'm just grateful that now I'm able to have this mindset that it's like, you know, not for First of all, not everything is abuse, right? Like uh-huh. that's <laughs> hard. That's like, hard, though. Oh my I God, think so hard, so especially hard. when you've been abused. Because yeah. I have a hard time with that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, not everybody's trying to like abuse my kids. Like I have very mm-hmm. people that I trust around my kids, and yep. you know, and and so paranoid and all, and all of that, and. I just realized that you do your best as a parent to prepare your kids for anything in life. And Mm -hmm. I am just doing my best. Like I said, I picked up those books on Amazon. I think they're really helpful. I've taught her that we don't keep secrets. I've explained her body parts to her. I've explained that nobody's allowed to touch her privates, that she shouldn't touch anybody else's privates. And that's Mm -hmm. the best I can do. Right. And like, as she gets older and as, you know, they both get older, do you plan on being more like specific as they get older of what sexual abuse is, sexual trauma is to them? Or is it something you'll just kind of always Um, teach them like these are your privates and kind of the the boundaries? So my mom was raped when she was in her early 20s, I believe it was. And she had me by the time I was age eight in like rape self-defense classes where men and big like (laughs) armor would attack Mm -hmm. you. And you, so like I knew what rape was at like eight years old. Okay. Oh, wow. It fucking traumatized me. I mean, she had to take that course like several times. And I'll tell you what, when I was raped at 16, not a single move that I learned, not a single thing that they had taught me registered at that time. I'm not saying it's not good to know those things. I'm not saying don't do that with your 18-year-old daughter right before she heads off to college or, Mm -hmm. you know, when she's in high school. But I thought the conversation about consent 
event happens at an earlier age, right? So I would probably say fourth or fifth grade, the conversation of consent would come up. and, And the conversation is very simple. It's like, if you want someone to touch your body in a certain way, that's okay. But if you don't mm-hmm. want them to touch your body in a certain way, then that's not okay. And here are the things that you can do if somebody's touching your body in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable. And I think it just needs to be really cut and dry. And the other thing is you don't touch anybody's body. Right. You know what I mean? That makes them feel uncomfortable. And you don't touch people's body, you know, if they are not able to say that, that yeah. they like this or that this is okay with them. I think it's important to be talking to our kids about consent early. You know, I'm against circumcision. Mm-hmm. I mean, for a number of reasons. But the biggest is like, how can we be teaching our sons about sense and about respecting women's bodies when we cut their genitals without their consent at birth? Nice. How can we okay. be, it's so hypocritical. We shouldn't be touching. It's the same reason I'm against ear piercing. And I would never force my kids to do anything. And I would never do anything to their bodies or to alter their bodies without their consent. I just don't believe in it. I just see. And that's wrong. hard for and me because I, I never thought of that. Radical. <laughs> well, and a lot of people <laughs> haven't, right? Because it's the norm for some reason in the United States to like cut genitals, thankfully, right? Um, and to circumcise. Thankfully, it's about 50-50 now and we're moving more in that direction. Am I saying that people who chose for circumcision are bad people? Absolutely not. And you know what? And this is why I became a birth doula. And this is why I'm so uh, so passionate about birth and about babies and about all of this is because I believe that mothers, if we want to change this world, it starts with mothers. Because mothers, good, mothers who have support, mothers who are in a great mindset, mothers who feel healthy, mothers who feel confident, mothers who don't have postpartum depression, mothers who, you know what I mean? All of these things mm-hmm. help us to raise kids that are going to change the world. Right. Right. And so mm-hmm. we're ha- we're having these conversations with pretty radical ideas now because it's important. Right. And and we're learning and we're evolving. And for some reason, we started this like barbaric tradition in the United States that is really just kind of silly. You know, I'm not against I, I'm against it personally. And this is my whole thing about parenting. It's like make informed decisions, make informed decisions right. about everything you do. The way you birth matters, the way you have a pregnancy matters the relationship Mm -hmm. when you're pregnant matters all of these things affect our children and we have to have a lot of information and we have to make informed decisions before we do this you know before we have kids before we bring up this next generation and so you know if you circumcised your kid if anybody listening to this circumcised your child you don't regret it at all then like okay that's fine we can agree to disagree on this topic i'm just saying when we're talking about consent and we're talking about ending misogyny and we're talking about ending sexism and we're talking about breaking down this patriarchy that's suppressing women, raping us, beating us, killing us, taking away our rights. Mm-hmm. Right now, we've got Alabama today saying that they're going to give a 99-year sentence to anybody who performs abortions in their state, right? It's just heinous. What is happening? You know, an abortion is a whole nother topic that we can get into on another time. <laughs> yeah, for and, you know, sure. I'm it, with you on that. But here's the thing. Like when we're talking about recovering collectively, we have to look at all of these, the patriarchy. We have to look at why we have such great, 
so many people dying of overdoses every year. We have to look at why mm-hmm. we have so many kids on heroin. We have to look at the root cause of why all is happening, right? Right. And so when we're talking about consent, it starts at birth. It absolutely mm-hmm. does. No, I totally agree. But here, you know, here's the thing is that's something like that's why I think research, like you said, is so important. Being informed is so important. Doing research is so important. You know, my son's six, and unfortunately, I didn't do that research. I was just always told, do you know, circumcise. That's what you do. Yeah. So I never did that so research. So everybody. Now, yeah. yeah. So, like, I mean, my son was circumcised. But, like, now, as I've gotten older and I've started to figure this whole thing out of research and checking into things when it comes to immunizations, when it comes to all of it, I do my research. So that's why I think, like you said, it being informed and, is the top, uh, most important thing. And we're all doing the best we can. While, while right. we break down society norms, we have to acknowledge, like, that's the thing, because it will throw you if, you, if you start beating yourself up about all of this stuff, it uh-huh. will throw you into, like, a never-ending spiral of, like, regret and shame, which is not where yeah. we want people, right? We want people to feel empowered, and we want people to feel good about the decisions that they're making, and that starts with information, and that information is not readily available to every person you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and and so when you give birth at the hospital and the doctor's like okay it's day two we're gonna circumcise your son you're just kind of like well okay you don't even okay that's what they do okay so you know that's just what you do and so Mm -hmm. how do we heal from this well we just have a conversation with our kids about foreskin I mean, it's really easy. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I made a decision and maybe even I regret it and I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And and this is where it's at and and you're okay. And I don't think that that happens until much later. I wouldn't even talk to your son about it until you're talking about sex and intercourse and the penis and what it does and when it's erect and what happens and semen and all of those things that you hopefully as a parent are talking about with your kids you know, right. more than what they're receiving in school, which is, you know, <laughs> I, our a PowerPoint. systems are so, <laughs> yeah, it's like a PowerPoint and it's really, it's whitewashed. It's, it's not faith-based, but it's not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, well, I don't know how much we're actually covering in our school districts as far as like sex, sex education goes. So it's important to, to have these conversations. And that's something that I would definitely just go over. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Because then if your son has a son, he's going to go, wait a second. My mom, mom had this conversation me with this. me. Or when he sees a friend, like I said, it's about 50-50 right now, four and again, four and been circumcised in it for this generation, our child, mm-hmm. children's generation. So when he sees a friend that has foreskin, he's going to go, whoa, you know what I mean? Yeah, Changing exactly. the locker room, whatever it might be. Boys, mm-hmm. be, boys will be boys and yeah. girls will be girls. And, and if they're informed, then they, they won't be shocked about it. And be like, what is wrong with that person? You know, they'll be more informed, like, okay, this is natural. Exactly. For the people who said, well, I just want my son to look like their dad. I mean, never once have I been concerned about my daughter's vulva looking the same as mine. And it's not going to look the same as mine because I've birthed children and I have hair and they don't. I mean, it's like totally different. We're not not comparing vaginas. No, we're not. And I don't think you should be comparing penises either. I mean, no, I agree. I don't know how we got on this topic, but basically, um, you know, when we're talking about, oh, yes, when we're talking about ending sexual abuse and scent and and moving away from rape culture, I mean, it begins, Mm -hmm. it begins with our kids, it begins with this next generation, it begins with the Me Too movement, it begins with Mm -hmm. women saying enough, it begins with healing our collective shame and our collective trauma and our collective pain. 
And as mothers, you know, we can have a huge impact on on that. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree that, you know, like you said, it starts with our children. And this is the best way that we're going to change the world is by informing them. And I think that the way you explain that, perfect. Well, thank you for covering all that. I appreciate it. Like I said, it's some of the questions that I have. And for me, being sexually abused, I haven't been triggered with the age thing with my daughter yet, but I know it's coming. And I'm, I am scared because it brings up so much different things. And especially because it was my stepdad and it was somebody I knew that that makes me so paranoid all the time. You know, she says she has the other day, she called me at work saying that her vagina was burning and I panicked. Like you said, I was like inside, like dying inside, like, okay, what, you know, I need to figure out how to ask for this in a calm way. Come to find out she had a rash, but it's those automatic things that, you know, other people who haven't been sexually traumatized don't have those thoughts. And so it is something that I will. EMDR therapy will be really helpful for you. I don't know if you've ever tried that. I have been um, so informed by that recently. Yeah. And then emotional freedom technique tapping has been life-changing for me. Um, so oh, really? those two okay. things are like really, really super helpful, you know, and as parents, just breathing, staying present, being grounded, you know what I mean? And having, right. literally, we have to retrain our brains out of the trauma, right? So mm-hmm. all of those things are super helpful. Neurofeedback, all of these amazing things that we have now where we can remap and rewire our brains to have a different feeling and emotional reaction to mm-hmm. to trauma. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, it's just so important. Yeah, I'm going to look into that EMDR because I've actually been informed by that from my coworker who's a social worker and he was telling me about that and I've heard things from the past. I've only ever done talk therapy. So to do something like that would be really interesting for me. And I think it would definitely help with my stuff that I, you know, haven't dealt with or kind of put to the back of the closet because I don't want to deal with it. So I do think that nowadays there is so many more resources to go to. So I think that's great that you, you know, have said you've done it and it's helped. There's another question I have. I've been married for 10 years, almost. We've been together for 12. And my question, I know you have a great relationship with your husband. He, you guys met in AA. You guys have, you know, it seems like you have a great marriage. Obviously, you probably have trials like everybody. But my biggest question is, in your marriage, how has your husband helped you? And what have you done to not let your sexual trauma get in the way of your marriage intimacy and all that? And if it has, how have you guys kind of worked through that? Yeah, that is a great question. I'm so lucky and grateful that I have a husband who is very evolved and who has just so much empathy for me and for my story and and so much compassion and really is focused on being very cherishing and nurturing and loving toward me and my trauma. And it's kind of like it just came to him. It's not something that we've really had to work on. There are definitely things that don't feel good to me and I voice them. So for instance, I don't like Mm -hmm. kissing when we have sex. And that is something that I had to explain to him. I don't like kissing when we're having sex doesn't feel good to me it makes me go back to that place of trauma mm-hmm. and I don't like it and so then that's off table you know what I mean and, right and I'm grateful to say that like in my relationship with my husband this is the very first time that I've actually like been able to enjoy sex and that I've been okay. able to feel comfortable enough to explore and to see things that do feel good to me and that 
don't, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, and when they don't, that I feel comfortable enough that I can say, okay, I don't like this. We need to switch this up or we need to change this or blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And so I'm really, really grateful that I have a partner who's receptive enough and who is secure enough in himself that he doesn't take that personally, you know, that he doesn't take those things personally. And, um, when you say you you don't like something, yeah, yeah. That it's not about him. It's just about me and my comfort Mm -hmm. level. And, we rarely fight. I'm really grateful that we're, we are good communicators and that we're able to be on the same page. And we follow a, an amazing woman, Dr. Pat Allen, and she talks a lot about masculine energy and feminine energy and all of this great stuff. And, and we've based our, mm-hmm. our relationship around a lot of her work and it works really, really well for us. We are really good communicators. I can recall one time where we got in a in a pretty big fight and I was in the shower. He came into the bathroom and started to confront me about the events that had just taken place. And okay. it triggered me so bad. I felt so vulnerable. I felt so scared. I felt even though we weren't even like yelling at each other, I just felt like, whoa, like that yeah. I don't know, for me being naked in that <laughs> in that like vulnerable state whoa I spiraled I felt like I was losing my mind like it just sent me Mm -hmm. right back into the trauma and and thankfully you know again he's receptive enough that I was able to say like hey you know that felt horrible and that really Mm -hmm. scared me and it freaked me out and and I apologize for some things that I said because like I said when I go when sometimes when I spiral I like black out the way and just freak out it has been for me and freak out freak out and then things are said that no I I, I say that because um, I am in the exact same way so I feel you there yeah I but I can acknowledge like you know what in that moment I was just feeling really triggered super vulnerable and Mm -hmm. it did not feel safe for me and so in the future I'm just going to request that like if things are still lingering that you wait until I'm out of the shower that we can address it you know what I mean so again Mm -hmm. it just it all goes back to communication it all goes and therapy is great um Mm -hmm. we've been fortunate that we haven't really had to do much therapy we've definitely done a couple of sessions on communication uh specifically and like what works best for him and what works best for me but overall yeah I'm just really lucky that I found a partner guy that I was dating before him was like not at all emotionally available and Mm -hmm. was kind of quite the bag and you just can't be with somebody <laughs> like that if you've person. had any trauma. Yeah, because well, um, you need that. You need somebody that's going to understand. And, and and my husband's been through a lot, too. You know, he grew up in a really traumatic, with a really quite traumatic childhood, too. So he, right. he gets it. We're both doing our own work individually and then we gather and, and it's worked out really well for us. We've been married seven years. We're really happy, mm-hmm. you know, super grateful. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I've looked up your husband and he seems like an amazing person and he knows what he's doing. And like I said, that makes such a big difference between like your ex-boyfriend who had no experience or didn't care about somebody who's been through things like you have compared to your husband who maybe hasn't been in that exact situation, but enough to where he can like you said, give your, give you empathy to kind of get you mm-hmm. the help that you need in that moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Alexis, seriously, thank you so much for interviewing with me. Like, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. 
I'm not a celebrity or anybody big, but this is just a movement that I'm really trying to get going of like helping people that are going through sexual trauma, going through other types of trauma and just don't have that outlet or that light of hope. And I'm trying to kind of be that along with you. Your podcast, Recovering from Reality, is so interesting and has so much good information. And so if any of my listeners have not heard it, please listen to her podcast. You will love it. Again, thank you so much. And I had such a great time talking with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on.